Yo, what's up everyone? Welcome in. Welcome to episode 34 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. It is long time no talk. It's been a while. I've been very sporadic in terms of posting episodes. It's either been a every week or every 10 days or something along those lines, but uh, I did start my first week of college this week, uh, so been trying to get adjusted to that, and so it's been difficult for me to try to, you know, figure out and get used to college while also trying to pump out some content, so I apologize for that. But once I get into the swing of things with college, I'll be able to manage my schedule more and and be able to figure out ways to, to do this. But I still would like to try to stick to the same schedule of, you know, every weekend pumping an episode out. So let's go ahead and jump right in to episode 34. I want to start the episode with the Urban Meyer controversy. Uh, it's kind of a bit of it in case you missed it, but I doubt you did miss it because this was pretty big news in sports. Urban Meyer was suspended three games without pay uh, for the domestic violence allegations that he may or may not have lied about uh, with his assistant coach, Zach Smith. Now, this was handled very horribly. Uh, if you watch the press conference Urban really, his speech, it, it seemed prepared, but it seemed like it wasn't prepared by him. And he was, what he was reading was him reading it for the very first time. He was very, he, he stuttered a lot. He said words wrong and he didn't seem sincere in his apologies. And one thing that I did notice was that he did not mention Zach Smith's wife's name once. He was asked, what is your message for Zach's wife? And he said, well, I have a message for everybody, and that is that I'm sorry we're in this situation. So he couldn't even, he couldn't even acknowledge Zach Smith's wife. And I think that that's very telling that he kind of thought of it as, you know, not a big deal and it kind of made it seem like he didn't know exactly what he he did wrong but he was apologizing for it anyways like the best comparison i have for that is like when a kid does something wrong and he doesn't really want to apologize for it but he's forced to and so you can tell when a kid is forced to apologize that's what it looked like to me but based on this whole situation it makes me feel, it makes me want to go back on my opinion from earlier that like he shouldn't be fired maybe he shouldn't have been fired but i think a more a more heavy punishment should have been enforced maybe you suspend him for half the season or up until bowl season or something but this 3 games without pay is very light and it's not and what you might be thinking is three games without contact with the team and no pay. It's actually not the case. It's three games without pay, but for the first game, he can't have any contact contact with the team at all. 
the next two games, he can be in the practice facility, he can game plan for the next two games, but he cannot head coach on the sidelines for those next two games. And that just that kind of defeats the purpose of suspending him because he's still game planning. He's still having an impact on the team's game planning for the next couple games. And so this makes this kind of seem like more of a slap on the wrist than a punishment. So it, it kind of shows that Ohio State's priorities are about winning rather than, than uh, addressing the, the uh, controversial issue at hand. And there were several opportunities missed to, to say something on domestic violence where Urban could have shed some light on how bad it is and the negative effect it has on specifically women and stuff. And he didn't address anything like that. It just, it was a missed opportunity to, to talk about the problems we have in our country. And instead it was almost, instead he, he gave a forced apology and it was, it's a very bad look for Ohio state and it could lead to some more issues in the future. And we don't know. We don't know if Urban Meyer is going to be there next year or not. I would think he's going to be because Ohio State kind of just swept this under the rug. I think their hope is, is that they're going to move on from this very quickly and just kind of forget about it. But this is something that could tarnish Urban Meyer's legacy as a coach. Not necessarily from a a performance and winning standpoint, but from just an overall person standpoint, you know, like Urban Meyer carries a lot of baggage. He had, he had issues at Florida. He's had issues at other colleges he's worked at and that he's coached for. And if Urban Meyer is able to sweep this under the rug and, and kind of forget about it and continue coaching, and when I say sweep it under the rug, I don't mean it in a negative way. But if he's able to move on from this and not let this affect him as a head coach any longer than it than it has, then I think he'll be fine. But the longer this stays an issue, the more it's going to affect his legacy as a head coach. And something else that's pretty telling about this is an Ohio State board member, the board voted on what Urban's punishment should be. And a, and a board member from this voting committee resigned after the decision to suspend Urban Meyer for three games. The board member felt that three games was too light of a punishment. And as a result, they were, they resigned. So that's kind of, that's, that's pretty telling. I think that the rest of the university is not, is not living up to those high standards they set. And only one person knows what should be done. And that, I think that's pretty telling. But uh, the Buckeyes had their first game yesterday, and they destroyed Oregon State 77-31. to So, I mean, that was a... 
that was a pretty big game for them without Urban Meyer. And Ohio State's definitely talented enough to win without Urban Meyer. It's just when you get to those later games, late in the season, college football playoff, that's when you want Urban Meyer. But with college football rolling around, this uh, week one was yesterday, and we had some great games yesterday. Alabama, Louisville, Michigan, Notre Dame was a great game. But I want to give my college football playoff predictions for this season. Uh, the top four, I like Alabama and Ohio State as the clear number one and number two teams in the country. Even though Ohio State's five right now, I think Ohio State is definitely up there. And I think you're a fool if you put if you if you think any other team other than Alabama has a better chance to win the college football national championship. You're a fool to think of any other team other than Alabama. Nick Saban is the best coach in college football, one of the best coaches in sports history all time. Extremely successful, an amazing recruiter. They have amazing teams every year. It's just you're a fool to to think that Alabama wouldn't be in the top four and wouldn't be the favorite to win the national championship again. So I think Alabama's clear-cut number one. The rest is no particular order. Ohio State, with their defensive front, their defensive front I, know, I think is, other than Alabama, is the best in the country. And then offensively, they can be really good this year. Dwayne Haskins is more of a pure passer than JT Barrett, doesn't run as much. So I think that really opens up their offense. It allows them to use their running backs more, and it makes their offense less predictable. So I think their their offense is a lot more dynamic this year, and it really opens up for better opportunity this year. Uh, Clemson, I think, is is going to be really good as well, and Wisconsin. I think those two teams will round out the the four in the college football playoff. Clemson, Dabo Sweeney is one of the best coaches in the country, probably top two or three coaches in the country, and Wisconsin's got a heck of a team this year. Jonathan Taylor at running back is a Heisman candidate. Their defense is really good. And offensively, they're they're really dynamic. They've got a strong offensive line. And their running game is really the the focal point of their offense. And if you can't stop their running game, then you're not beating Wisconsin. And then a sleeper team, a team that I think not necessarily is going to make the college football playoff, but a team that you can look out for that might finish the season in the top 10 in the country. I like West Virginia. West Virginia with Will Greer at quarterback. Will Greer is one of the top quarterbacks in the country. They have a tremendous offensive line and a tremendous offense. And I just I just really like them this year. So that's a team to look out for, in my opinion, is the West Virginia Mountaineers. So yeah, Alabama, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Clemson are my top four, and then a sleeper team is West Virginia. They are the ones to look out for, in my opinion. Also... I'll throw in another team, Notre Dame, I think could also make its way up into the top four, potentially. All right. I want to shift gears. 
Um, the NBA, we've still got a couple months until the season starts, but we do have one piece of major news in the NBA. Manu Ginobili of the San Antonio Spurs decided to call it a career. Ginobili is retiring. He He's a four-time champion with the Spurs. He's got one of the highest... Uh, in the games he's played, he's got the highest win percentage of anybody in in a in history, I believe. Over 70% of the games he's played in, his team has won. And I think that's that's pretty good. Really good. But this marks the end of an era for the San Antonio Spurs. That means Duncan's gone. Tony Parker left for Charlotte. Manager Ginobili is retired. And Kawhi Leonard was traded away. So their team is... It's going to be a new team next year. They, they have DeMar DeRozan now. He is the the new star in San Antonio. I think San Antonio is still going to be a very good team. I mean, they were good last year with, with Kawhi Leonard only playing nine games, and they made the playoffs. as a seven, They made it as a seven seed, but really, like seeds four through eight were all within a few games apart. So seven seed sounds bad, but really it wasn't. It was just a very competitive Western Conference last year. But I can see the Spurs very much sitting in the same position next season. DeMar DeRozan is still a very talented, very good player. Not as good as Kawhi Leonard, but it's still very good. And as long as he's able to play, I think they're going to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. I mean, Greg Popovich is a top two coach in the NBA right now. I would say him and Brad Stevens. And as long as Greg Popovich is coaching, the San Antonio Spurs are going to be a relevant team. And I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs with their roster as currently constructed. They're not going to be one of the best teams in basketball, but they're still going to make the playoffs. All right. So, like I said, that's all we have for the NBA. The uh, training camp starts in a in a couple months, and the season will start in a few months. So, not going to really have much NBA news in the next coming episodes. But the NFL literally is right around the corner. First game this Thursday, so four days from now. Um, and that is between the Eagles and the Falcons. So that's going to be a good matchup to start the season. Uh, but I want to start uh, with a, tr- a couple trades, actually. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was traded from the Jets to the Saints. So that's going to free up the starting job in New York for Sam Darnold. Now, personally, I think this was its a good move, but also a bad move by the Jets. I think the Jets should have kept Teddy Bridgewater for this season because I think Teddy Bridgewater would have given them the best chance to win. Teddy Bridgewater is a veteran quarterback. Yes, he's got injury issues, but he's a veteran quarterback who, who can, who's very talented, who can play in this league. I think Teddy Bridgewater could have made the Jets a potential playoff team, a wildcard team. But the, the upside of trading Teddy Bridgewater having him and trading him is you get assets and they traded him to the saints for some picks. So they get valuable assets in return. I think for the saints, this is a great deal because you're going to, you're, you're getting a guy who's potentially going to be 
Breeze's successor. And also, Breeze is getting up there in age, and as you get older, your injury risk becomes higher. He's a guy that can fill in for the Saints, who's not going to put up the same numbers as Drew Breeze, but is still going to be productive enough to win you games and keep you in the playoff race in the tough NFC. But now that Teddy Bridgewater is gone from New York, Sam Darnold's going to start. Sam Darnold's going to be the youngest QB to start a regular start the regular season off, I believe, in NFL history, or at least since the merger. But I I just don't think Sam Darnold is ready. I he's like there's a reason why there a quarterback hasn't started a season that young before or in a long time. There's a reason. It's because they're usually not good when they start out that that early. I think Sam Darnold is going to be a really good quarterback. I think he's got a, a ceiling of, of Andrew Luck and a floor of Andy Dalton. And Andy Dalton's not terrible. He's not terrible. He's not a, he's not a great quarterback, but he's he keeps you above water. And I think Sam Darnold falls right in that range. He's going to be good in this league, but I don't. I just don't think he's ready yet. He could. I could be totally wrong, but I don't think he's ready. All right, and some big news yesterday. Yesterday was cut day for all NFL teams. All NFL teams had to get get down to their 53-man roster and, and cut some guys. I think the biggest, most notable cut from yesterday. The Dallas Cowboys cut Dan Bailey, the second most accurate kicker in NFL history. Now, I don't, I don't agree with this. Number one, he's the second most accurate kicker in NFL history. But he he's going through he's he's just been going through a, a little bit of a, a slump right now. He finished off the season last year on a bad note he had a rough couple games to end the, se- end the season as every kicker every kicker goes through spells like that where they can't make field goals but it was also reported that he had a rough training camp didn't have a very good preseason and the other kicker on the Cowboys roster Brett Maher beat him out for the job now I don't this guy, Brett Maher, played in the CFL. He bounced around in the CFL, and he has a kick percentage of 78%, which is not good. That's not very good. And I'm sorry, I'm going to take a, a Dan Bailey who's in a slump over a guy who kicks 78% in the CFL. Not even in the NFL. The CFL. So, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. Obviously, it's going to save the Cowboys some money. And I think their reasoning behind it was they're paying Dan Bailey to be Dan Bailey, and he's not being Dan Bailey. And he wasn't quite the same after his groin injury last season. But I think you got you you don't just give up on a guy who is historically accurate. And he's going through one rough patch in his, in his career. I don't think you do that. And I think it's going to eventually bite the Cowboys when they need a clutch field goal at some point, maybe in the playoffs or in a in a uh, crucial regular season game, a division game. 
I think it's going to bite them. All right, and very recently, within the last week or so, we've had some historic deals signed by some of the league's very best players on offense and defense. On off on the offensive side of the ball, Odell Beckham and Aaron Rodgers both got historic contracts. Odell Beckham became the highest paid receiver in the National Football League with a five-year, $95 million extension and $65 million guaranteed. Odell's going to be making $19 million a year with this deal. And Odell Beckham is extremely talented. Could be the most talented receiver in football. He's not the best, but he could be the most talented receiver in football. You could argue that. But the reason why I don't... I like this. I like re-signing Odell. I think you need to re-sign Odell. But I just think that that kind of money... I think that's a mistake, paying him that kind of money. Number one... He's coming off injury. This guy only played like three games last season. So you don't know how he's going to be coming off injury. And number two, you're straddling yourself financially. You're not, like, paying a guy that much money is going to hurt you when it comes to retaining some of your offensive linemen or defensive players. Like, it, like I'm, I'm a fan of paying your stars, but I'm not a fan of paying them that kind of money. Like unless it's your quarterback, I'm not a fan of paying them that kind of money. I certainly think Odell Beckham is worth a lot of money, but I don't think he's worth more than Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, I think, is making 17 million, 18 million, and I even have a slight problem with that because I think receivers shouldn't be paid that kind of that kind of money because you can find receivers in the draft every year you can find them you don't need a superstar receiver on your team you don't need them but they certainly help i just think 19 million that's a lot of money to pay a guy per year when you have other needs on both sides of the ball And then Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers signed a four-year, $134 million contract, over $100 million guaranteed, and can make upwards of $180 million if he hits all of his incentives. This is a, this is a nuts contract. Aaron Rodgers is clearly one of the top two quarterbacks in the National Football League right now, probably the most talented in the National Football League. And then I would put him right behind Tom Brady as the best in football, probably. But Aaron Rodgers is going to be making almost $34 million a year. I think Aaron Rodgers is certainly worth that much. I think anytime you have a superstar quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, like a Drew Brees, like a Tom Brady, like a Russell Wilson, I think those guys are worth a huge portion of your salary of the salary cap they they deserve to be paid that kind of money because it's a quarterback league you need 
a solid quarterback to win in this league. Now, the only problem that I have with this kind of deal is the length of it. Aaron Rodgers is coming off of a collarbone injury. He's had several collarbone issues in the past. He's had other injuries with his calf. And the guy's 36 years old, and this deal is going to take him up until he's 40. And there's no way he's not going to have another injury within the next four years. So Aaron Rodgers is going to have to stay healthy in order for this to be worth it for the Packers. He's going to have to stay healthy. Because last year with, with Brett Hundley at quarterback, the Green Bay Packers were as bad as the Cleveland Browns. Now, they did beat the Cleveland Browns with Brett Hundley, but they almost lost. <laughs> they almost lost with Brett Hundley at quarterback. So Aaron Rodgers is an absolute necessity if you're the Packers. But you just also got to take into account his injury history. But he's certainly one of the top two quarterbacks in the National Football League and definitely deserves to be paid as such. And Aaron Donald is now going to end his holdout after reaching a deal worth $135 million for six years. Six years, $135 million for Aaron Donald. And that was the highest paid in history for a defensive player up until yesterday. But I'll get to that in a minute. But now this certainly makes the Rams defense the most talented in the league. Their defensive front is insane with Sue and Donald, two of the best defensive tackles in the game. And on the outside, you have Aqib Talib, who is an excellent veteran corner. He is older, but he's extremely smart and extremely tough. And then they have Marcus Peters on the other side. Their defense is going to be incredible this year. And it's certainly going to be top three in the league with Jacksonville and Minnesota. Their defense is just loaded. And then uh, Khalil Mack, the controversy with Khalil Mack and his holdout from the Raiders and him wanting a massive extension similar to that of Aaron Donald's. This conflict was just resolved yesterday. Khalil Mack was traded to the Chicago Bears. And the Raiders got back two first-round picks uh, for the next two years. And then a fourth-round pick and a sixth-round pick. Uh, one of them in 2018 and the other in 2019. And then, or I'm sorry, 2019 draft. And then the 2020 draft. My apologies. And then the Bears also received a second round pick. And I mean, gosh, this was a great deal by the Bears. I definitely would have given up two first round picks for a guy as good as Cleo Mack. Cleo Mack, outside of Aaron Donald, is the best defensive player in football. He is also a former defensive player of the year. And is just really, really good. 
And I think this was a mistake by John Gruden and the rest of the Raiders organization by not keeping him. Obviously, they did not have the money to to pay him what he wanted. But I like their defense is already bad with him on it. Without Cleo Mack, their defense is going to be the worst in football next year. You can mark it down. The Oakland Raiders defense is going to be the worst in the NFL next season. And not having Cleo Mack is going to definitely hurt them. Now they did get set, they did get a lot of picks, but there's no telling if those first round picks are going to turn out or not. There's only a few teams in the NFL right now historically that are great at drafting in the first round: the Vikings and the Dallas Cowboys. Those are the best two teams in the NFL in terms of drafting in the first round. Only a handful of teams hit their picks in the first round. So it's a huge risk trading away a, a superstar player of Khalil Mack's caliber for potential players that you don't even know if they're going to be good or not. But as far as the Bears, the Bears and the NFC I think are going to be really good. Now, when I did my record predictions for the the NFC North, I didn't do them. I had my friend Jordan do that division, but I'll do I'll do them right now. I guess my own. He had the Vikings winning the division. I think that is correct. Twelve and four. I would say he was right on that. The Packers, I think, are going to go ten and six. I believe he had that as well, and I think the Bears are going to finish third in the in the division. They're going to push the Packers, but I think they're going to go 9-7 and seven with that improved. Their defense is going to be very legit now. And then the, the, the Detroit Lions are always average. They, they usually have a pretty solid defense, but offensively they're very average. I'm going to give them 6-10 and 10 or 7-9. and nine. But with Khalil Mack on that defense and the improved offense with Matt Nagy, at head coach, the Bears can be very scary in the next couple years. And I think, not this season, but the following season, the Bears are going to pop. And they are going to be the best team in the NFC North. I think the Bears are, they may not be legit this year, but the Bears in the next couple years, they're going to be a legit team in the NFC North. I think I believe in Mitch Trubisky. I think he's going to improve uh, by a wide margin this year with, with his offense. And defensively, they're going to be really good. It's only a matter of time before they pop. And now, NFL record predictions continued. I just did the NFC North. Um, but I'm going to do the remaining two divisions this week because... The first game is Thursday, and I would like to have all of my predictions out there before the first official regular season game. So I'm going to start off with the NFC East, and then we're going to do the NFC West. Uh, So the NFC East, I think the winner of this division this year, it's always different every year. We've never had a back-to-back division winner in the NFC East in several years I like the Dallas Cowboys to win this division this year, 11 and 5. 
their their offensive line right now has Tyron Smith back. Travis Frederick does have a autoimmune disease right now, though, and that's likely going to keep him out for half the season. But they do have a solid replacement in Joe Looney. Obviously, he's not one of those like best backup centers in the league kind of players, but he's a very solid guy. He's a great leader, actually. So their offensive line, I think, is going to be fine. They shirt up their left guard with Connor Williams in the second round in this year's draft. Lyle Collins is back. Zach Martin's healthy. Tyron Smith's healthy. They're, they're going to have a good offensive line. Zeke is going to be back. No suspension. Dak in year three, we'll see how, how it goes for him. Their receivers, they don't have Dez this year, so they're kind of they don't have a go-to receiver. But they do have some very solid guys, Hearns, Beasley. And they drafted Michael Gallup, who seems to be a solid piece. And defensively, I think defensively they can have a top top half of the league defense this year. Top 16 defense. They're, they've really improved their linebacking core. Their secondary is young but improving. And their defensive front with their pass rushers is outside of the Rams could be the best in the league and outside of the Chargers. It could be one of the best in the league. So I really like their defense this year. They are missing a player on the back end of their defense, a playmaker like a like an Earl Thomas. They're missing a safety. But I think their defense is still going to be really good. The Philadelphia Eagles are going to be second in the division. And I like them to be around 9-7 and seven or 10-6. and six. I still think they're going to be really good. The record may not say that, but it's only because they're going to have a first-place schedule. Nick Foles is going to start the first couple weeks, and he has struggled mightily in preseason. He's also battling a shoulder injury. And once Carson Wentz comes back, it's going to take him a few games to get back into the flow of things. So like, he hasn't even been cleared for contact yet, which is very concerning. But... I think the Eagles are still going to be really good. They're going to have a really good defense. They're going to have a top five defense in the league. Offensively, Alshon Jeffries out until at least week three. But they do have a strong committee of running backs and a strong offensive line. It's just a matter, uh, just a matter of shoring up their quarterback position and having a healthy guy at the helm. They're going to struggle the first couple weeks. But once they get things back together, they'll be fine. The New York Giants, I have them in 8-8. Eight and eight. Their offense is improved with a star running back like Saquon Barkley. He's going to get a lot of volume carries this year. Their offensive line is much improved. They signed Nate Solder. They also drafted some guys. Defensively, I don't really like what they've done defensively. I don't think they have a strong defense. Their secondary has got some issues. And... They've, they don't have Jason Pierre-Paul anymore. I don't like what they have defensively, which is why I have them at 8-8. And the Washington Redskins, 7-9. and nine. I don't. I think they're going to be a good fourth-place team. They're going to be. They they might be the best fourth-place team in the NFC, but they're going to be a fourth-place team. Alex Smith can only do so much with what they have offensively. They don't have. 
strong talent at receiver. Jordan Reed is an exceptional tight end, but he's always injured. And defensively, they've got a strong defensive line, a strong front seven, and one of the best corners in the game in Josh Norman, but that's really all they have. And at the end of the day, they can only go as far as Alex Smith can take them. And with what he has around him, I don't think they're going to go very far. 7-9. and nine. And then, finally, to round out my predictions for the NFL this season, the NFC West. The Los Angeles Rams, 13-3. and three. They are just loaded this year. They're going to have a first-place schedule, but they're easily the best roster in the game right now. Jared Goff has got the prettiest deep ball in football. Todd Gurley is a top-two running back. They have a great offensive line and very talented receivers, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, and Cooper Cup. And defensively, like their only weakness defensively is that their linebackers are not like super strong, but they have decent linebackers. They really don't have a weakness. They don't have a weakness at all. So I really like them to go 13 and three. The San Francisco 49ers, I think are going to go nine and seven. Uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo, I think is going to be outstanding. But they just lost Jarek McKinnon literally today to a torn right ACL. And defensively, they have an improved secondary but it, with Richard Sherman, but Richard Sherman is also an aging corner. And defensively, they're going to be okay. Offensively, Jimmy Garoppolo is really good. And if he can win games with the team he had last year, they're going to certainly win more than five games this year. But with a tough, tough division with Seattle and Los Angeles, I can only see them going nine and seven, and they could potentially push for a playoff spot this year, a wild card with nine, seven is still good enough to make the playoffs. It's just a matter of what the rest of the NFC does. Cause it's a very competitive conference, but if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think they're one of those teams that you look out for in the next couple years to really pop. The Seattle Seahawks are going to go 8-8 eight and eight, to my calculation this year. Their offensive line is one of the worst in football. They're always constantly reworking it. They did draft a running back, Rashad Penny, but without an offensive line, he's just going to be another wasted pick. Russell Wilson is one of the top five quarterbacks in the game, but really, he doesn't have much to work with. He only has Doug Baldwin and himself <laughs> he really doesn't have much and defensively they've lost so much they lost Richard Sherman they've lost Michael Bennett they lost Cam Chancellor they've lost so many guys and Earl Thomas once paid and he, they're not going to be able to pay him they're likely going to end up trading him at some point or another and the only reason they're going to win eight games is because of Russell Wilson So 8-8 eight and eight for the Seahawks. And then to round out the division, the Arizona Cardinals are going to go 6-10. and ten. Uh, it's, still there's st it's still unclear who's going to start at quarterback. I think Bradford's going to start. But it's 
kind of a it's a it's a matter of when Bradford gets hurt versus if he gets hurt because we know he's gonna get hurt. And so I think Rosen is going to start some point early in the season with a not very good offensive line and a defense that lost Tyron Matthew. I don't think they're going to be that good of a team. David Johnson is back, and that's going to be the lone bright spot of their team outside of potentially Rosen if he can put together a solid rookie campaign. But it's literally going to be the David Johnson show in in Arizona. And I drafted him in my fantasy league, so hopefully he's good. <laughs> but that rounds out the NFL record predictions, and I want to jump back to the AFC West for a minute because I think I should be allowed to change my prediction for this team. Since the Raiders traded Khalil Mack, I had, see, I had the Chargers 12 and 4, the Chiefs 9 and 7, the Raiders 8 and 8, and then the Broncos 7 and 9. I think the Raiders could potentially be worse than the Broncos and be the worst team in that in that division. I'm gonna make them. See, I had them in 8 and 8. Without Khalil Mack, their defense is going to be. Uh, dreadful. I think they might finish the season with the Broncos seven and nine, or go six and ten. I think that has the potential to be a straight-up dumpster fire this year, and potentially one of the worst teams in the NFL. Potentially, the only reason why I have them still at six wins, seven wins, is because their offense is still going to be solid. It's just their defense. Like they're just going to have to score a lot of points to be able to win games. Because that defense, that is going to be the worst defense in the league. And then for the game this Thursday, what I'm going to do is predict each game and keep track of my record for the season and see how well I do. For the Eagles and Falcons this Thursday night, I like the Falcons. And the main reason is because of the quarterback situation in Philly. Nick Foles is going to start, but he's struggled mightily in preseason. He's battling a shoulder injury, which he says he's fine, but all players say that. And I just think they're going to struggle offensively. And Atlanta has a really good defense, and they they have a really strong offense. I think they have an outstanding chance to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons to win that game. And we'll go – I'm not going to be, like, super strict on the scores and, like, i got to get those right. But if I was going to put a prediction down, I'll go 27 to 10 Atlanta. Oh, crap. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, okay. I think that rounds out the show for this week. I apologize for being very inconsistent and sporadic with when I upload episodes. 
like I said, I, I just started college last Monday. So I've just kind of been getting adjusted to that and just trying to figure out how my schedule is going to work and, and things. And plus, obviously, it's a much it's a much increased workload. So definitely going to stick to my Friday, Saturday routine. Try to do that. And I am majoring in communications. So, and Muskingum University, which is where I'm going to, that's in New Concord, Ohio, if you don't, if you guys don't know. But Orbit Media is their, basically their media production at Muskingum. So my plan, hopefully next semester or next school year, is to hopefully be on the radio doing a sports show. Maybe I'm calling games or I'm doing sports news for the college or something, but you are allowed to have your own show on campus, and I would love to put this show on the radio at Miss Kingham. So hopefully down the line that, that can happen. But that's likely not going to be until next semester at the earliest. So we'll see, but I just wanted to let you guys know that. Uh, but I'm, I'm super excited to, to really get into things down there. Uh, but yeah, that's the show for this week, guys. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at the Will Ford Show. I know I've been very bad at posting episode links, but I will post this one as soon as it drops. So follow the show on Twitter, rate and review the show on iTunes, like and comment on SoundCloud, share this episode with the people you know. Thank you for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. It's WFS.